Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for tuning in. And today we have a really exciting interview because we're going to talk to somebody who has created sort of her own path in the world, which is often what we do here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. But Kristen Arnold is a high-stakes meeting facilitator and a professional panel moderator. Now, you often think, what? A, a professional panel moderator? But you've all been to conferences before, and you know there's keynotes, and sometimes there's panel discussions, and so often people say, oh, panels are so awful. Well, my actual belief is panels aren't awful. Panels are only awful when they are poorly moderated, and I myself do a lot of moderation of panels at conferences, but Kristen has taken this to an entire level and sort of created this niche where she is the leader. She's been facilitating conversations between executives and managers and working to make sure that there is substantial results from conversations that are had. She's also the author of From Boring to Bravo, Proven Presentation Technology presentation techniques to engage, involve, and inspire audience action. And again, for those of you who go to conferences, you know there's nothing worse than to be in there in boring. We all want to be at Bravo. So Kristen Arnold, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Well, thanks, Tom. Appreciate the lovely introduction. Well, do me a favor and tell the audience a little bit more about your business because I'm positive that I didn't do it justice. No, you did a great job. I mean, I the bulk of my business for over 23 years has been around facilitating what I call high-stakes meetings, those meetings you can't afford to screw up. And I train other people around how to facilitate meetings. And so over the years, that's kind of narrowed itself down into working at pretty much the executive director level and then at the meeting uh, level where you and I do a lot of work at conferences – um, I do some very uh, different kinds of things as a as a presenter, um, and I, I hyper niched into panel moderation, which is a very very specific form of facilitation. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about panel moderation because again, you know, I'm I live in this meetings world, this events world, and people are often like poo pooing panels, and yet I think you get so much deeper information when you can have two or three people who are sort of sharing ideas and bantering when it's done right. How, how did you decide that panels suck and I can make them better? Well, um, actually, I was sitting at a very high level uh, summit at Ford Motor Company. Alan Mulally was the CEO at the time, and he couldn't speak in the morning, so he was speaking at lunchtime, I believe. So they started this conference with two panels back to back. We were all sitting in the dark. It was moderated by a very boring man, um, and I was just sitting there taking notes going, if I was doing this, this is what I would do, and if I, this is what I would do. And So, of course, what do you do when you're trying to figure out anything? You Google it. So I Googled how to moderate a panel discussion, and there were a lot of really interesting anecdotal blog postings, but there wasn't anybody who really, quote, unquote, owned the space. And I went, huh. I could do that. And I'm pretty passionate about it because um, I then in 2014, I did a, a survey of over 600 meeting planners and executives, uh, people who operate in that meeting space. And 68% of them said that 
that panels are merely okay or even worse. So that means, Tom, you've got a 50-50 chance (laughs) that you're going to either be great or at least good or you're going to suck at it. So um, I thought that that was a target-rich environment to, to actually make a difference. So you said something really interesting that I think will resonate as really good advice for everybody who's listening to the show, and that is you saw that there was no one who owned the space. So often people sort of get in line and and follow into an area because they see somebody who is leading a space, and they're like, wow, that person, you know, has a business podcast. I'm going to start a business podcast just like them. Or, you know, that person is an expert in, I don't know, XYZ, and they become like the number two or number three expert in XYZ. And yet, and yet, what I have seen you do is you said, hey, there's nobody there, and you created your own thing. So what, what made you realize that that was what you had to do? Uh, that, I, I didn't realize that that's what I had to do. I just decided that I wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, maybe I'm mincing words here, but, you know, it, it – I think when you find something that really resonates with you, you just go with it. Like, I honestly don't know if this is doing anything to increase my bottom line. Uh, I've been at this for maybe two, three years, and I would say I'm starting to see real traction. But for the first two years, it was like, no, I'm just going to I'm just going to do this because this is what makes me happy. I'm putting it out in the world. I have a, a revenue model that. If it's sti- if it's got some stickiness, if it provides value, that then you know that will work for me. Um, but part of the entrepreneurial, the cool things that entrepreneurs do is they take something that they are, are passionate about and just do it. And you'll know pretty quickly whether it's something that's going to resonate with the world, and then also if the world is going to resonate back in a monetary way. They might resonate back saying, oh, that's great, but it doesn't, it doesn't feed your family. So you kind of have to balance all of these <laughs> things. Um, and, and you'll know soon enough, like I didn't, I didn't put like a hundred percent behind this because I still had my day job of facilitating high stakes meetings and speaking at conferences. So the panel was something that was very complimentary. It was something that I realized nobody really owns it. So let's, let's start chipping away at it. Um, and I would say it took, it, it's taken about two years. Cause I started that in what, 2014. Um, and I'm, I'm now starting to see some of the, the results of my labor, which is really quite, quite lovely. <laughs> So let's back up. You weren't born as a professional speaker and, you know, ex- uh, facilitator of high stakes meetings. What I think d- I popped out of the womb like that. <laughs> you were born with a microphone in your hand? Uh, you know, I was born actually with facilitation DNA. <laughs> I so, do think so. That's so what did you do early? What did you do early in your career? What was your first jobs? So I, uh, I was a retail clerk at Bullock's Department Store in high school, and uh, I helped my grandmother. She was an entrepreneur. She was a caterer to the stars in Beverly Hills. So I would don a black dress with a little white apron and pass canapes around. I've got some great stories about that one with some of the stars that I've run into. Um, But I I went to the Coast Guard Academy. Um, I was one of the first women through... Um, and so I spent 10 years on active duty and in that I discovered my passion for facilitating teams. Hmm. Uh, they wanted to put me back on board ship and I went, Hmm, I have two little babies. I don't think so. (laughs) Um, and so I decided to just go out on my own. 
not even knowing what a consulting business looked like. Nobody really knew how to spell facilitator, no less what a facilitator did at that point. So I was really one of the uh, the leaders in the industry, so to speak. Um, and, you know, I, I've always tried to carve out my own space. Um, and I've been doing that for 23 years. So it's interesting. You said you started off as a clerk at, at Bullock's. And I laughed because I thought, oh, you had to have been born and raised in Southern California. I was. I got my first haircut at Bullock's Pasadena. Oh, my goodness. I think I was two years old, but it was, a, it was, I remember Bullock's very well. That was a big shopping day for my mom when we'd go to Bullock's. Yeah, Bullock's was a big deal. So, um, so you launched into this. Now, 23 years ago, there was no internet, per se. So how did you get your business started? I mean, how did you market it? How did you go out and do this? Thank God there was no internet. You know, <laughs> somebody asked me if I, if I had to do it all over again what would I do differently? And I'm like, I'm not sure I would do this over again. (laughs) You know, Tom, I think that this business is a lot tougher. Back when I got started in 93, you basically printed up a a trifold brochure and a business card and you went networking Um, and you, you just knocked on doors and you did good work and people would refer you. Um, the, which sounds really hard nowadays because people don't do that. And I, I would suggest that we need to get back to that. Um, because still most of my business comes from just doing great work and people referring me. And it, you know, I, I think it's a lot harder for entrepreneurs to break into a very cluttered and crowded and noisy space. People don't talk to each other the way that they used to, that you'd have casual conversations over coffee and say, so Tom, you know, what are you doing? And somebody would say, oh, I'm going to be doing some strategic planning with my, you know, with my executive team. Who do you know? They're not having those kinds of extended conversations. They're all little bit-sized tweets. Well, you bring up a really interesting point, and and that is true because, uh, you know, when I look at my business, I do a lot of stuff online. I do a lot of marketing. I spend a lot of my time into trying to create content, and yet I went back and did a survey of, you know, I spoke over 53 times this year, and I went back and looked, and I think 50 of the 53 times came from people who actually sat in my audience and saw me and said, we have to have him at my company or my conference, or people once removed, their husband, their wife their neighbor, someone they knew very well said, oh, my God, I just came from a conference and you have to have this person. So, you know, I think the the, the competitiveness of it, but it's interesting because you were talking about printing up a, a trifold and going out and networking. And, you know, that's sort of what I teach people to do in today's world. I mean, when I work with right. accountants and lawyers, one of the things I ask them, one of the exercises I do when I'm inside a, a firm, a professional services firm, is I ask them, how would you market this business in 1953? And I get them to whiteboard everything they would have to have done to promote their business in 1953. And then I sort of say, we're done. And I walk out of the room and say, there's, there's your business plan. Yeah, but see, here's the challenge, Tom, is not only do you have to do that, but you also have to have this layer of being seen as a competent professional. Um, so in yours and my business, we would call that thought leadership or we're content curators or we are putting stuff out in the world to give us credibility because that person who's referring you. So um, Sally saw you in the audience and she refers you to Rob. Rob, before he picks up the phone and says, Tom, I've got to have you speak at our next uh, conference, yep. they are going to Google you, yep. just like most people reach Google, and, and they are going to explore you so that when they pick up the phone, 
They know more about you than you ever dreamed possible. And if you don't have that footprint, they go, who, who is this person? I can't even find them. They're, and then they don't even bother to call because even though they've gotten that referral, they need that supporting documentation. They need that supporting energy that says, oh, my God, Tom is so great. I've seen him on you know, five different YouTube videos, and I read these three blogs that just hit me square between the eyes. He's going to be perfect. No, that's that's very true. And that's actually a good piece of advice is you do have to have those layers put together. And I think a lot of us forget that. We get so caught up in whatever our focus is for today that we forget that that focus has to layer with all the other the other pieces. Yeah. So what yeah, advice so, do you have? So oh, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to piggyback on this one because I know we're talking about cool things entrepreneurs do or want <laughs> to do. And I think sometimes this space about how do we market ourselves just gets so freaking overwhelming that it, it just becomes too much and we throw up our hands. So one of the things that I like to do is, is use the metaphor of spinning plates. So you've got one marketing strategy. Let's say you're going to put out a monthly newsletter. So you start spinning that plate and you get the process and the procedure and you figure out how to do it so that it's kind of on autopilot. Like you're spinning that plate pretty well. That's the point that you pick up another plate, another marketing strategy, and you start spinning that one. Get that one spinning well before you pick up another one. So don't try to do it all at once. Don't try to copy that person that you're trying to be like. Pick one marketing strategy at a time. Do it well, you know, because there's going to be a learning curve. Get it to the point where you feel comfortable with it and then pick up the next one. No, that's that's so true. So you've been doing this for a long time. What do you absolutely love about working for yourself? You know, I love being able to set my own hours. Um, I can get up when I want for the most part. Um, I can go to sleep when I want for the most part. I can, you know, other other than client non-discretionary time. But, you know, if I want to sleep in, I can. If I want to take off and do something else, like I'm going to go on an errand after we finish this podcast, I can. I don't have to check in with anybody. I am the master of my own universe. <laughs> Is there any parts of it you don't like? Are there ever days you think, wow, I could have gone from the Coast Guard like into an accounting firm or something? So... Um, it- what I don't like as much is the fact that I set my own hours. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same coin, the different side is um, if I'm not working, I'm not making money. And if I don't get up and if I don't, you know, I, I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we can become a little unbalanced and a little unfocused. Um, so I'm very particular about segregating my life in that I have work time and I have uh, free time. I have, uh, I call them buffer. I, I follow kind of the Dan Sullivan principle of you have focus, free time and buffer time. Buffer time is all the crap that you don't really love doing. Your focus time is the stuff that you love doing. And then your free time, you, you are not even checking email. You don't walk into your office. You, you just are with the people that you love and care about. And I think that that helps me, uh, manage some of this, this um, uh, creepiness, you know, scope creep that gets into your life. 
Well, and it's interesting because back during the, the presidential election, I talked to a bunch of my friends who were solopreneurs who got nothing done for like five days after the election because all they did was watch CNN or MSNBC or or whatever. And it's like that was the, the, the upside was they had the freedom to do that. The downside was they got sucked into the vortex of just the news. And they said that, uh, you know, three or four of my friends said, you know, did you do the same thing? And I said, it was tempting, but no, because I had to set up some some rules or you could have just watched the news for hours. Yeah, yeah, we had it going in the background, and because I I wanted to see a couple of things, but uh, you know, but you're deliberate. You, I, I find that uh, successful entrepreneurs are very deliberate and conscious about where they spend their time. Um, I went to a business coach very early on in my career, and he said you should be constantly asking yourself, "Is this the highest and best use of my time?" Mm, that's a good. That's repeat that because that's really good. Is this the highest and best use of my time? I think that if we can all just ask ourselves that a couple of times a day, we'd probably be a lot more productive. We would, I think, or at least recognize that, you know, if we're playing in the email wormhole or the Google wormhole (laughs) that, you know, you get, you, you, you allow yourself the opportunity to do that. Don't feel bad about it, but just say, I'm going to do this for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. Like there are, I start every day with the three things that I must do by the end of the day. I must nail my butt down to the chair and just do them. And I don't go to bed until they are done. Or at least I've made as much progress as I had you know, expected to do. And, when, and if you just have that simple, simple little thing that you do, you know, that these are strategic things. These aren't you know, crap that you've got to do because we've all got to do that kind of stuff. But three things that advance your strategy forward you'll find that you'll get a lot done during the day. So and Chris, I don't even speak on productivity. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kristen, I've got a couple of more questions for you. But first, I've got to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Kristen Arnold. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have to the, for the listeners of this show. So Kristen, how important is networking to people who want to have their own business? I mean, we hear a lot about networking and, and all that, but for entrepreneurs, how important is it to be connected to other people? Well, if you don't want other people to buy your stuff, then it's not important <laughs> at all. <laughs> I mean, business is done by people. People do business with people that they like or people that they know. In fact, they'll do business with people that they don't like but do know over people that they don't know at all. Which I think is kind of interesting. So you are a former president of the National Speakers Association, and I'm a big believer that no matter what industry people are in, they should be involved in their trade associations. So what benefits have you got from participating in, in your trade association? Um, you know, I think uh, – and I'll, I'll just say from, from the National Speakers Association versus being president – um, just being a member of the National Speakers Association, I think, keeps me fresh and current. I mean, if you think about the whole social media craze, it I mean, I've been a member since 99, and I, I, I own all the domains of my name. 
you know, because I was the forefront. Um, I knew what was going on versus, you know, now I talk to businesses and they're just starting to get pretty sophisticated where I'm, I'm fluent with them. I know what they're talking about because I've experienced it in my own business. So I think, I think part of it is um, the knowledge about what's going on, trends, uh, using technology, uh, knowing about podcasting, um, those kinds of things. The other thing is, is that I've gotten a, a lot of really good relationships friends, but also colleagues and people who have referred me. And I have hired people um, on behalf of my clients uh, to work with me. So I think it's a a win-win all around. So I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest, new, exciting thing you're doing with your business? Well, I think, uh, you know, getting back to the panel thing that we already talked about, I think it's really about hyper-niching and really figuring out how to be seen as a or the leader in a very hyper niche space. And by hyper niche, um, Vern Harnish talked to the NSA convention two years ago. And one thing he said, and it was just a flippant flyby, flyby line, you know, doesn't that ever happen to you? Like one person says one thing and it's like a throwaway line and it just sinks in and he goes, it's okay to hyper niche. And I'm like, I'm hyper niching. It's like, it's just such a, a narrow band, but the audience is a pretty clear audience. And, um, I'm just doing some really interesting things with it to, to just try to provide value um, to people who are usually at the very last minute trying to scramble, figuring out how to be a, either a great panel moderator or a great panelist. Huh. That's awesome. I love that idea of hyper-niching. That's fantastic. Hey, I love to ask the people who come on the show who it is that they see that are doing cool things because I think in addition... Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for tuning in. And today we have a really exciting interview because we're going to talk to somebody who has created sort of her own path in the world, which is often what we do here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. But Kristen Arnold is a high-stakes meeting facilitator and a professional panel moderator. Now, you often think, what? A, a professional panel moderator? But you've all been to conferences before and, you know, there's keynotes and sometimes there's panel discussions and so often people say, oh, panels are so awful. Well, my actual belief is panels aren't awful. Panels are only awful when they are poorly moderated. And I myself do a lot of moderation of panels at conferences. But Kristen has taken this to an entire level and sort of created this niche where she is the leader. She's been facilitating conversations between executives and managers and working to make sure that there is substantial results from conversations that are had. She's also the author of From Boring to Bravo, Proven Presentation Tech presentation techniques to engage, involve, and inspire audience action. And again, for those of you who go to conferences, you know there's nothing worse than to be in there in boring. We all want to be at Bravo. So Kristen Arnold, welcome 
to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Well, thanks, Tom. Appreciate the lovely introduction. Well, do me a favor and tell the audience a little bit more about your business because I'm positive that I didn't do it justice. No, you did a great job. I mean, I the bulk of my business for over 23 years has been around facilitating what I call high-stakes meetings, those meetings you can't afford to screw up. And I train other people around how to facilitate meetings. And so over the years, that's kind of narrowed itself down into working at pretty much the executive director level and then at the meeting uh, level where you and I do a lot of work at conferences. Um, I do some very uh, different kinds of things as a, as a presenter um, and I, I hyper niched into panel moderation, which is a very, very specific form of facilitation. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about panel moderation because, again, you know, I'm, I live in this meetings world, this events world, and people are often like poo-pooing panels. And yet I think you get so much deeper information when you can have two or three people who are sort of sharing ideas and bantering when it's done right. How, how did you decide that panels suck and I can make them better? Well, um, actually, I was sitting at a very high-level uh, summit at Ford Motor Company. Alan Mulally was the CEO at the time, and he couldn't speak in the morning, so he was speaking at lunchtime, I believe. So they started this conference with two panels back-to-back. We were all sitting in the dark. It was moderated by a very boring man. Um, and I was just sitting there taking notes going, if I was doing this, this is what I would do, and if I, this is what I would do. And so, of course, what do you do when you're trying to figure out anything? You Google it. So I Googled how to moderate a panel discussion, and there were a lot of really interesting anecdotal blog postings, but there wasn't anybody who really, quote-unquote, owned the space. And I went, huh, I could do that, (laughs) and I'm pretty passionate about it because um, I then, in 2014, I did a a survey of over 600 meeting planners and executives, uh, people who operate in that meeting space, and 68% of them said that that panels are merely okay or even worse. So that means, Tom, you've got a 50-50 chance (laughs) that you're going to either be great or at least good or you're going to suck at it. So um, I thought that that was a target-rich environment to to actually make a difference. So you said something really interesting that I think will resonate as really good advice for everybody who's listening to the show, and that is you saw that there was no one who owned the space. So often people sort of get in line and, and follow into an area because they see somebody who is leading a space, and they're like, wow, that person you know, has a business podcast. I'm going to start a business podcast just like them. Or you know, that person is an expert in, I don't know, XYZ, and they become like the number two or number three expert in XYZ. And yet, and yet, what I have seen you do is you said, hey, there's nobody there, and you created your own thing. So what, what made you realize that that was what you had to do? Uh, that, I, I didn't realize that that's what I had to do. I just decided that I wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, maybe I'm mincing words here, but, you know, it, it – I think when you find something that really resonates with you, you just go with it. Like, I honestly don't know if this is doing anything to increase my bottom line. Uh, I've been at this for maybe two, three years, and I would say I'm starting to see real traction. But for the first two years, it was like, no, I'm just going to I'm just going to do this because this is what makes me happy. I'm putting it out in the world. I have a, a revenue model that. If it's, if it's got some stickiness, if it provides value, that then 
you know, that will work for me. Um, but part of the entrepreneurial, the cool things that entrepreneurs do is they take something that they are, are passionate about and just do it. And you'll know pretty quickly whether it's something that's going to resonate with the world. And then also if the world is going to resonate back in a monetary way. They might resonate back saying, oh, that's great, but it doesn't, it doesn't feed your family. So you kind of have to balance all of these <laughs> things. Um, and, and you'll know soon enough. Like I didn't, I didn't put like 100% behind this because I still have my day job of facilitating high stakes meetings and speaking at conferences. So the panel was something that was very complimentary. It was something that I realized nobody really owns it. So let's, let's start chipping away at it. Um, and I would say it took, it, it's taken about two years cause I started that in what, 2014. Um, and I'm, I'm now starting to see some of the, the results of my labor, which is really quite, quite lovely. <laughs> So let's back up. You weren't born as a professional speaker and, you know, a facilitator of high stakes meetings. What I think I popped out of the womb like that. <laughs> you were born with a microphone in your hand? Uh, you know, I was born actually with facilitation DNA. <laughs> I so, do think so. That's so what did you do early? What did you do early in your career? What was your first jobs? So I, uh, I was a retail clerk at Bullock's Department Store in high school, and uh, I helped my grandmother. She was an entrepreneur. She was a caterer to the stars in Beverly Hills. So I would don a black dress with a little white apron and pass canapes around. I've got some great stories about that one with some of the stars that I've run into. Um, but the, I, I went to the Coast Guard Academy. Um, oh. I was one of the first women through... Um, and so I spent 10 years on active duty and in that I discovered my passion for facilitating teams. Hmm. Uh, they wanted to put me back on board ship and I went, Hmm, I have two little babies. I don't think so. <laughs> um, and so I decided to just go out on my own, not even knowing what a consulting business looked like. Nobody really knew how to spell facilitator, no less what a facilitator did at that point. So I was really one of the, uh, the leaders in the industry, so to speak. Um, and you know, I, I've always tried to carve out my own space. Um, and I've been doing that for 23 years. So it's interesting. You said you started off as a clerk at, at Bullock's and I laughed because I thought, oh, you had to have been born and raised in Southern California. I was. I got my first haircut at Bullock's Pasadena. Oh my goodness. I think I was two years old, but it was, it was, I remember Bullock's very well. That was a big shopping day for my mom when we'd go to Bullock's. Big deal. So, um, so you launched into this. Now, 23 years ago, there was no internet per se. So how did you get your business started? I mean, how did you market it? How did you go out and do this? Thank God there was no internet. You know, <laughs> somebody asked me if I, if I had to do it all over again, what would I do differently? And I'm like, I'm not sure I would do this over again. <laughs> you know, Tom, I think that this business is a lot tougher. Back when I got started in 93, you basically printed up a, 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 a trifle brochure and a business card, and you went networking. Um, and you, you just knocked on doors, and you did good work, and people would refer you, um, the, which sounds really hard nowadays because people don't do that. And I, I would suggest that we need to get back to that um, because still most of my business comes from just doing great work and people referring me. And, it, you know, I, I think it's a lot harder for entrepreneurs to break into a very 
cluttered and crowded and noisy space. People don't talk to each other the way that they used to, that you'd have casual conversations over coffee and say, so Tom, you know, what are you doing? And somebody would say, oh, I'm going to be doing some strategic planning with my, you know, with my executive team. Who do you know? They're not having those kinds of extended conversations. They're all little bit-sized tweets. Well, you bring up a really interesting point, and, and that is true because, uh, you know, when I look at my business, I do a lot of stuff online. I do a lot of marketing. I spend a lot of my time into trying to create content, and yet I went back and did a survey of, you know, I spoke over 53 times this year, and I went back and looked, and I think 50 of the 53 times came from people who actually sat in my audience and saw me and said, we have to have him at my company or my conference, or people once removed, their husband, their wife their neighbor, someone they knew very well said, oh my God, I just came from a conference and you have to have this person. So, you know, I think the, the, the competitiveness of it, but it's interesting because you were talking about printing up a, a trifold and going out and networking. And, you know, that's sort of what I teach people to do in today's world. I mean, when I work with right. accountants and lawyers, one of the things I ask them, one of the exercises I do when I'm inside a, a firm, a professional services firm, is I ask them, how would you market this business in 1953? And I get them to whiteboard everything they would have to have done to promote their business in 1953. And then I sort of say, we're done. And I walk out of the room and say, there's, there's your business plan. Yeah, but see, here's the challenge, Tom, is not only do you have to do that, but you also have to have this layer of being seen as a competent professional. Um, so in yours and my business, we would call that thought leadership or we're content curators or we are putting stuff out in the world to give us credibility because that person who's referring you. So um, Sally saw you in the audience and she refers you to Rob. Rob, before he picks up the phone and says, Tom, I've got to have you speak at our next uh, conference, yep. they are going to Google you, yep. just like most people reach Google, and and they are going to explore you so that when they pick up the phone, they know more about you than you ever dreamed possible. And if you don't have that footprint, they go, who, who is this person? I can't even find them. They're, and then they don't even bother to call because even though they've gotten that referral, they need that supporting documentation. They need that supporting energy that says, oh my God, Tom is so great. I've seen him on you know, five different YouTube videos and I read these three blogs that just hit me square between the eyes. He's going to be perfect. No, that's that's very true. And that's actually a good piece of advice is you do have to have those layers put together. And I think a lot of us forget that. We get so caught up in whatever our focus is for today that we forget that that focus has to layer with all the other the other pieces. Yeah. So what yeah, advice so, do you have? So, oh, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to piggyback on this one because I know we're talking about cool things entrepreneurs do or want <laughs> to do. And I think sometimes this space about how do we market ourselves just gets so freaking overwhelming that it, it just becomes too much and we throw up our hands. So one of the things that I like to do is, is use the metaphor of spinning plates. So you've got one marketing strategy. Let's say you're going to put out a monthly newsletter. So you start spinning that plate and you get the process and the procedure and you figure out how to do it so that it's kind of on autopilot. Like you're spinning that plate pretty well. That's the point that you pick up another plate, another marketing strategy, and you start spinning that one. Get that one spinning well before you pick up another one. So don't try to do it all at once. Don't try to copy that person that you're trying to be like. Pick one marketing strategy at a time 
do it well, you know, because there's going to be a learning curve, get it to the point where you feel comfortable with it and then pick up the next one. No, that's, that's so true. So you've been doing this for a long time. What do you absolutely love about working for yourself? You know, I love being able to set my own hours. Um, I can get up when I want for the most part. Um, I can go to sleep when I want for the most part. I can, you know, other other than client non-discretionary time. But, you know, if I want to sleep in, I can. If I want to take off and do something else, like I'm going to go on an errand after we finish this podcast, I can. I don't have to check in with anybody. I am the master of my own universe. <laughs> Is there any parts of it you don't like? Are there ever days you think, wow, I could have gone from the Coast Guard like into an accounting firm or something? So um, it, what I don't like as much is the fact that I set my own hours. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same coin, the different side is um, if I'm not working, I'm not making money. And if I don't get up and if I don't, you know, I, I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we can become a little unbalanced and a little unfocused. Um, so I'm very particular about segregating my life in that I have work time and I have uh, free time. I have, uh, I call them buffer. I, I follow kind of the Dan Sullivan principle of you have focus, free time, and buffer time. Buffer time is all the crap that you don't really love doing. Your focus time is the stuff that you love doing. And then your free time, you you are not even checking email. You don't walk into your office. You you just are with the people that you love and care about. And I think that that helps me uh, manage some of this this um, uh, creepiness, you know, <laughs> scope creep that gets into your life. Well, and it's interesting because back during the the presidential election, I talked to a bunch of my friends who were solopreneurs who got nothing done for like five days after the election because all they did was watch CNN or MSNBC or or whatever. And it's like that was the 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 upside was they had the freedom to do that. The downside was they got sucked into the vortex of just the news. And they said that uh, you know three or four of my friends said, "Did you do the same thing?" And I said, "It was tempting, but no, because I had to set up some some rules, or you could have just watched the news for hours." Yeah, yeah, we had it going in the background, and because I I wanted to see a couple of things, but uh, you know, but you're deliberate. You, I, I find that uh, successful entrepreneurs are very deliberate and conscious about where they spend their time. Um, I went to a business coach very early on in my career, and he said you should be constantly asking yourself, "Is this the highest and best use of my time?" Mm, that's a good. That's repeat that because that's really good. Is this the highest and best use of my time? I think that if we can all just ask ourselves that a couple of times a day, we'd probably be a lot more productive. We would, I think, or at least recognize that, you know, if we're playing in the email wormhole or the Google wormhole (laughs) that, you know, you get, you, you, you allow yourself the opportunity to do that. Don't feel bad about it, but just say, I'm going to do this for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. Like there are, I start every day with the three things that I must do by the end of the day. I must nail my butt down to the chair and just do them. And I don't go to bed until they are done. Or at least I've made as much progress as I had you know, expected to do. And, when, and if you just have that simple, simple little thing that you do, you know, that these are strategic things. These aren't, you know, crap that you've got to do because we've all got to do that kind of stuff. But three things that advance your strategy forward. 
you'll find that you'll get a lot done during the day. So and Chris, I don't even speak on productivity. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kristen, I've got a couple of more questions for you. But first, I've got to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Kristen Arnold. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have to the, for the listeners of this show. So Kristen, how important is networking to people who want to have their own business? I mean, we hear a lot about networking and, and all that, but for entrepreneurs, how important is it to be connected to other people? Well, if you don't want other people to buy your stuff, then it's not important <laughs> at all. <laughs> I mean, business is done by people. People do business with people that they like or people that they know. In fact, they'll do business with people that they don't like but do know over people that they don't know at all which I think is kind of interesting. So you are a former president of the National Speakers Association, and I'm a big believer that no matter what industry people are in, they should be involved in their trade associations. So what benefits have you got from participating in in your trade association? Um, You know, I think, uh, and I'll I'll just say from from the National Speakers Association versus being president – Um, just being a member of the National Speakers Association, I think keeps me fresh and current. I mean, if you think about the whole social media craze, it, I mean, I've been a member since 99 and I, I I own all the domains of my name, uh, you know, because I was the forefront. Um, I knew what was going on versus, you know, now I talk to businesses and they're just starting to get pretty sophisticated where I'm, I'm fluent with them. I know what they're talking about because I've experienced it in my own business. So I think, I think part of it is um, the knowledge about what's going on, trends, uh, using technology, uh, knowing about podcasting, um, those kinds of things. The other thing is, is that I've gotten a a lot of really good relationships, friends, but also colleagues and people who have referred me. And I have hired people um, on behalf of my clients uh, to work with me. So I think it's a, a win-win all around. So I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest, new, exciting thing you're doing with your business? Well, I think, uh, you know, getting back to the panel thing that we already talked about, I think it's really about hyper-niching. Um, and really figuring out how to be seen as a or the leader in a very hyper niche space. And by hyper niche, um, Vern Harnish talked to the NSA convention two years ago. And one thing he said, and it was just a flippant flyby, flyby line, you know, doesn't that ever happen to you? Like one person says one thing and it's like a throwaway line and it just sinks in and he goes, it's okay to hyper niche. And I'm like, I'm hyper niching. It's like, it's just such a, a narrow band, but the audience is a pretty clear audience. And, um, I'm just doing some really interesting things with it to, to just try to provide value, uh, 
um, to people who are usually at the very last minute trying to scramble figuring out how to be a, either a great panel moderator or a great panelist. Huh. That's awesome. I love that idea of hyper-niching. That's fantastic. Hey, I love to ask the people who come on the show who it is that they see that are doing cool things. Because I think in addition to just making money and growing our businesses, I, I think great entrepreneurs are observers. I think they watch other people. So I love to ask, hey, who is it that you see out there where you say he or she, they're, they're really doing something cool? So I just took a, a, a lick from Jill Shufflebein's uh, notebook, and she was talking about how to um, really leverage uh, YouTube videos. So I have a lot of YouTube videos and and um, discussion tips. Like I've interviewed a whole bunch of other panel moderators and I, I take those interviews and I chop them down into like one minute, two minute answers to a question. So they're, they're discussion tips that are audio and video. And so how do I integrate them into, um, into my webpage so that it's, I'm more findable. Um, and I've, found that the viewership has increased significantly. And along with that, the book sales of, uh, so I wrote a book on how to moderate a panel has increased um, significantly. Um, So that's kind of cool. You know, you don't, I'm not doing, I'm not doing what Jill does. Jill is in the communication space, but I've taken what, what she has done and how she has done it and then adapted it versus adopted it completely. I've adapted it to my own business. And I think I think that's what, what benchmarking is. That's what's standing on the shoulders of the giants who have gone before us. It's taking what they've done and saying, how can we ap- apply it to our business? So the final question I ask everybody is, what is it that you do to somehow give back to the greater good? Because in addition to being observers, I think entrepreneurs, I think they want to leave their mark behind. So I love to hear sort of what people do to sort of serve society. Yeah. So, you know, that's been a really frustrating point in my career right now, Tom, because um, other than NSA, which is probably my main source of contribution, um, I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, a third of the year. I live in Prince Edward Island, which is where my husband is from, a third of the year. And then I'm usually on a plane traveling somewhere the other third of the year. <laughs> and I have found that it's very hard to get entrenched into a community and be there constantly to serve on boards. Or So I, what I try to do is I find very specific opportunities to volunteer either at my church or I give blood whenever, um, whenever I can. Um, and I, I just try to be a good citizen. Um, I vote, (laughs) I hope everybody voted, um, you know, and, but I'm, but I am frustrated that I'm not able to make, um, a more significant impact in my local community. Uh, but I do think at a national level, I've, I, I, I do try to work, um, quite a bit with the National Speakers Association. So I want to spin to one more question, actually, that just popped into mind. You talked about the fact that you split your time between Arizona and and in Canada. Your husband is also in the business of of training and speaking. What is it like to be married to somebody who has their own entrepreneurial venture, and yet they're not the same business? You guys have your your own businesses. What's that like? Right. So he is in Canada, and I am in the U.S. based business. So um, we try to work with each other when we can, because his business is very complimentary. He does leadership training and leadership keynotes, whereas I'm more about leading teams and collaboration and critical thinking. So 
Um, every once in a while, we wave at each other um, <laughs> at an airport. Um, but uh, we have a goal that we actually sleep together 200 nights a year. Um, and we track it because whatever you measure gets done. And so as entrepreneurs, make sure you're tracking the right things. Now, we don't track how many times we have sex, Tom, just saying. <laughs> uh, but we track how that's, many times that's we a whole, sleep. That's a whole different chart. It's a whole different chart. And you don't want to go measuring that one because, well, there are unintended consequences of measuring the wrong thing. But sleeping together is is just a very important thing that we're spending time uh, together. And so it's at least 200 nights um, we work in the same office, which is really creepy. At first, I was like, what? But we really like it. In both of our, our houses, our offices are in, in the same room. Um, he does his thing. I do my thing. We still talk at night about what's going on in our, in our businesses. Um, so we, we, we manage to not be in each other's business. Like, I don't run his business. He has an assistant. I have my own assistant. You know, we, you know. If he needs business help, he goes to his assistant, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably why you have a good marriage. Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, there's some bleed through, and I'm like, I am not Sue. Thank you. <laughs> well, I do think it's an interesting question because I think a lot of people, and I know from people who you know write to me or from who listen to this podcast, and then also the people who are involved in the Cool Things Project, which is sort of my online coaching group that I have for people who listen to this podcast. You know, some of those people, their their spouses do complementary but different things. Some of their spouses are you know not entrepreneurial at all, and others they have like totally separate businesses. And I think it's always very interesting when you have two people who are entrepreneurial. I think it's always interesting to share some piece of advice. And and for people who travel a lot, I think that you're tracking of how often you're actually you know sleeping in the same either your home or hotels or wherever you are. Keeping track of that probably is a good thing because in our business that can get away from you fast. Yeah. Yeah. That and we do martini dates over Skype. <laughs> Was that where he has a martini and you have a martini and you log on to Skype? Yep. Oh, that's awesome. See, that's a great piece of advice. That's a great place to end. For all of you who travel, start your own martini dates with your significant others. I love that. So, Kristen, if somebody's been listening to the show and they're like, I, I, I need to know more about Kristen Arnold, how do they find you? You would go to my website, extraordinaryteam.com. Um, and if you're interested in panel moderation, because we've talked about that a lot, PowerfulPanels.com. Excellent. Well, that is fantastic. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for being a guest with us on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do and sharing your journey. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. I say it every time, if it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So uh, if you like the show, jump over to iTunes and leave a review. It always makes my day so much brighter when there's a new review on iTunes where people like the show. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Kristen Arnold. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.